0: the truth news network george soros funded organizations buying up conservative radio stations to silence them amazon and google threatening to block twitter if musk opens the platform to counter opinions seeing a pattern yet well they can try but the truth will always find a way and this is TNN, the truth news network With your guide, Dan Newman.
1: I don't want to claim that uh, we have all the truth here, that we control the truth. After all, we can't say that. We're not politicians. (laughs) Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. If you read the story that went live first thing this morning at truthnewsnet.org, you know that uh, Dan Newman is pretty upset with this President of the United States and his administration. We don't do this very often, but I want to weigh in to the story that was posted this morning. title of the story is, Meet the United States Drug Trafficker-in-Chief, President Joe Biden. Yep, I said it, and yes, I am sure it is so. And where am I getting that from? Let's dive in. Without going into the gritty details, know this about drug deaths from illegal drugs coming through Mexico. New data from the CDC, brand new data, shows that more than 107,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2021, hitting a record high despite a decrease in year-over-year growth. Americans between the ages of 18 and 45, the leading cause of death in, in COVID isn't car accidents, it's fentanyl overdoses, a major issue that has been largely ignored by our elected leaders. Total deaths increased 15% in 2021, whereas the change from 2019 to 2020 saw a 30% increase. The slowdown could be promising. But the record high for yet another year brings into question the urgency that our leaders place on the opioid epidemic and then doing something about it. The majority of deaths trace back to the use of fentanyl, a synthetic opioid 50 times more powerful than heroin. U.S. fentanyl is typically made in Mexico using chemicals that are imported from China. The production trail has led U.S. officials to place blame on China for enabling this widespread and deadly issue to happen. The DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, is calling on the Chinese government to crack down on supply chain networks that traffic the chemicals to Mexican cartels. Now, I'm going to hold my breath and wait for the Chinese government to do that because We're telling them it's wrong and they've got to stop. That's the kind of thinking that goes on in this administration, apparently. Meanwhile, this administration is essentially welcoming fentanyl with open arms at our southern border. Democrats in charge of Washington have done nothing to stop mass illegal immigration from happening. Border Patrol has been forced to obey Biden's open border policies. Incidentally, in the story, there are multiple links, hyperlinks that we put in there for the things that we're saying, so you can click on those links and get facts to back it up. Two million illegals have crossed our southern border just this year. Besides the obvious, the crossing the border into the U.S. is a criminal offense. President Biden's not only going soft on southern border crossing infractions, he suborns this lawbreaking by encouraging his Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, to find ways to keep the illegals that are caught crossing in the United States, finding non-government entities, NGOs, who will temporarily take those illegals, house and feed them, and then facilitate their movements across the nation, as the Biden administration orders. So who pays for all this? We're told these fantastic charities, these NGOs, based on the goodness of Americans with soft hearts who contribute to them, are paying these bills. That's what the Biden administration wants us to believe. That is horse hockey. The federal government buries billions of dollars in spending bills directly to these NGOs, to keep these illegals in the U S paying for 100% of their expenses. And they're paying for it with our tax dollars. So what about these illegal drugs? Biden opened the door to the worst and most extensive drug trade in the Western hemisphere, the day he was elected three months before he became president, he had put the word out all through his campaign. My administration, he said, will terminate the egregious policies of my predecessor regarding immigrants fleeing their home countries to find a better way of life here. We will work with Mexico and our Central and South American government partners to streamline this process and give those who are seeking safe passage to our border to make asylum claims. The United States, he said, will welcome these immigrants and assist their resettlement in the U.S. With that statement, Biden canceled the Remain in Mexico policy that was negotiated by President Trump with the president of Mexico. It allowed every illegal the right to cross the border, file their asylum claims with U.S. Border Patrol, then return just across the border to facilities that were maintained by the Mexican government there, so those asylum seekers would be safe and care for it, while their asylum claims were being adjudicated here in the U.S. Once that happened, those who were accepted according to U.S. immigration laws followed the process and found places to live legally in the United States. On day one, of the Biden presidency, he canceled the Remain in Mexico policy. Many thought that would be the day when illegals flooded our borders, but they were already coming. When Biden's election was confirmed, thousands of illegals stormed the border and were allowed in. Nobody in this administration would answer this question. What came into the United States with this flood of illegals? What about their criminal history? It's doubtful that Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, or Mexico had exhaustive criminal records on the illegals from their countries. I doubt they would provide that information to the U.S. if they had it. Why? They were glad the United States was taking hundreds of thousands of illegals that were hardened criminals at home with extensive criminal records in their own countries. They weren't lining up the best school teachers, the best doctors, to send them over here. No, they were sending us the rabble. The U.S. Border Patrol has no way to do an extensive background check on every illegal. If they did have a pipeline with those foreign countries, it would still take at least days even weeks to get the information. Meanwhile, on Biden's orders, Homeland Security began to let them go to parts unknown in many cases across the U.S. Oh, and don't forget about these late night chartered jet flights and charter buses that sneaked into American cities across the nation, dropping illegals in various towns and cities. Those NGOs were happy to receive every one of them. Why? they made millions of dollars from grants provided by the Biden administration to care for these illegals. By the way, drugs are everywhere among these illegal groups. Most illegal drugs are not coming from Mexico, but only through Mexico. While Customs and Border Patrol can apprehend massive numbers of illegal and illegal drugs, it's common knowledge that drugs are coming across that are carried by gotaways, those illegals that were discovered through electronic surveillance but they could never be apprehended, or estimated to be as much in volume as a multiple of 10 times the amount of captured illegal drugs. And so on, on this story page, we posted this morning the official number for those captured illegal drugs for 2010 through the first part of 22. Now let me ask you a really stupid question. How much in weight in illegal drugs that do nothing but kill hundreds of thousands of Americans is okay for you to accept the justification for President Biden to keep the border open? How many moms and dads buried their children last year because their child innocently accepted a pill from a friend they thought was some innocent over-the-counter painkiller, but it was laced with fentanyl, and it killed them? How many of those is it okay for you? Or maybe that child had never given a thought to smoking marijuana. Still, a gateway drug is marijuana, and were given or sold a doobie that was laced with fentanyl. This and worse such incidents happen every day in the United States now. So, President Biden, yesterday, stumping in Pennsylvania, made a wondrous announcement. He's allocating millions of dollars more of your money and my money that is going to be earmarked to tackle this problem. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy all over? Taxpayer money is unnecessary part of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Patrol, and ICE budgets to police and protect our southern border. There are explicit federal immigration laws and budget bills passed that regulate all the operations of these and every other government agency. Congress must pass, and has passed, all these bills which the appropriate president at the time signed them into law. Then Senator Biden participated and voted for many of these bills when he served in the U S Senate. Why should taxpayer be required to pay more money in taxes to facilitate a new Biden policy down at the Southern border? Why would we even be required to do that when every law that he has signed and other presidents have signed regarding foreign people coming into our nation, he's ignoring? The facts detailed above are not only the only reason President Biden's favorability numbers are racing towards single digits. His actions or inaction regarding lawbreaking at the border and subsequent waves of lawlessness across the nation, from many of those he's encouraging to come into the nation, are driving the confidence of Americans in this government to zero. It's true that candidate Biden promised he would do away with the Trump immigration policies regarding southern border protection, but he also promised he would be a president that would make and keep Americans safe. He never told us he would suborn the constant breaking of federal laws by two million illegals he allowed to enter the nation this year. Most of who will become permanent residents, if not citizens, or he probably would not have won that election without promising this. Americans expect that every president will enforce the rule of law. In fact, they each swear an oath to do just that. Regardless of Biden's promises in Pennsylvania yesterday about his so-called commitment to stopping criminality across the nation, it's time for all of us to understand this one thing. This president is not truthful. On our show TNN Live, we've given our listeners countless examples of his commitments from his own mouth. It's as if he doesn't know YouTube exists and that everything he said and everything he will say is recorded for everybody to see and hear. If Joe Biden had told Americans he, if they elected him president, would do half the things he's doing and allow half the stuff he's allowing, Donald Trump would still be in office, but he'd be serving a second term. Make no mistake. Joe Biden bears unilateral authority and responsibility, and he has made himself our drug trafficker-in-chief. He could stop it all. He could stop every bit of it in one day just by beginning to do what he promised Americans he would do constantly, hold all accountable in his administration to execute the rule of law, and he refuses to do that. So what can be done about what's happening on Biden's watch? There is nothing we citizens living in the trenches under these treacherous policies and results of his governing can do. Until 2024, when a new president can be elected, the only way to stop Joe Biden is is through impeachment. And Nancy Pelosi's House of Representatives is the only government entity constitutionally authorized to begin impeachment processes. That's never going to happen on her watch. Let this be a lesson for all of us. Actions have results every time. Secondly, Politicians sometimes lie, and Joe Biden is way past the sometimes and is in the middle of the do ocean. His policies, which added to his egregious executive actions on numerous fronts, have put us in our current position. Sadly, it's doubtful we will see any or very little progress in this administration, We did see his fulfillment of many policies put in place by his predecessor, which put our nation in the best position in economic matters, foreign policy, and even social situations we have seen in decades. Here's what you need to do, what I need to do, here's what we need to do. Pray for this president, no matter who the president is. We want the captain to successfully maneuver the USS America to a successful landing. And after we land, we need to change captains. It gets better and nastier here. It does. We'll address the insanity of Congress and reveal much of the hidden travesties perpetrated by congressional leaders and their members that will blow your minds in an article we will release tomorrow morning at truthnewsnet.org. Facts matter. And when we get facts, we have the ability to make clear and concise choices based upon facts. Now let's talk about one of those things that a government did in Europe that frosted the citizens of their countries, and it has to do with energy, and it has to do with Vladimir Putin. Russia's Gazprom, that's the Russian national gas company that is basically owned by the government, stopped the flow of natural gas through a major pipeline from Russia to Europe yesterday. Second time they've done it. They said earlier this month that it would cut the flow of gas through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline until Saturday for what it says is a three-day pause for routine maintenance at a compressor station. According to Gazprom, the only remaining turbine which is located at the Voya Compressor Station needs maintenance. The head of Germany's Federal Network Agency, has said that the maintenance work is technically incomprehensible. He considers it a way of punishing Germany for siding with Ukraine since the Russian invasion. Gazprom has repeatedly reduced the flow of gas through that Nord Stream 1, claiming technical issues like equipment repairs. Germany calls these cuts a political move to sow uncertainty and to push up prices amid the war in Ukraine. Russia has also reduced the flow of gas to other European countries, which have sided with Ukraine in the war. Russia recently has accounted for about a third of Germany's gas. The government said last week that the drop in gas flows confirmed that Germany can't rely on Russian deliveries, announcing that it would step up its gas storage requirements and take further measures to conserve supplies. And just remember this, before Joe Biden took office, we were selling Germany and it was being distributed around Europe. We were selling them these big shiploads of liquid national natural gas, which is much more efficient and is much easier to distribute. And Joe Biden cut it off. And so he, unilaterally, made Germany and a bunch of other parts of Europe rely on Russia for their natural gas supplies. Sound a little um, crazy to you? Well, it does to me. Wow. Hey, listen, we got a lot we're going to dig into today, we don't talk about COVID-19 very much. I wonder why that is. Is it because there's nothing going on? Or is it because maybe the government doesn't want us to talk about it and concentrate on things there? Hmm, good question. Got the answer for you on the other side. You get a whole lot of something with farmers policy perks so much. I'm going to have to speed things up. (gasps) You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans is the claim-free 3 Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers.
0: Bum, 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 bum.
2: Now for the legal something.
0: Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers' branded policies subject to terms and conditions Underwritten by farmers,
2: truck, or fire insurance exchanges or affiliate. Have you heard about blank slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's
3: basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go. From the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. For over 75 years.
2: (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good.
3: For over (laughs) seventy. What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh.
4: Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years.
3: Don't look at me. Don't look at me.
0: Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select, as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's only one Dan Newman. Any more? Well, that just wouldn't be fair.
1: And I'm thankful I'm it. (laughs) I'd have to take care of the other one, and taking care of me is tough enough. Let's talk a little bit about COVID-19. After the death of a lady's husband at the hand of what he believes to be hospital COVID treatment protocols, Joanne Ierly's life was uprooted in grief and confusion. She had to sell almost everything she owned, had to sell her home in Oregon, moved to Ohio where today she's scrambling to put the pieces together again. Of one thing Irley said, she is certain, they euthanized him. They euthanized him. I know that they did that. Her husband Greg, Greg Irley was admitted to the hospital a year ago, September twenty-second. was not allowed to stay with her husband when he was there, so she stayed in communication through text. It seemed like he was getting better until Greg reported he hadn't been receiving hydration for a week. I think they're stopping taking care of me, Greg sent that text to her. Arlie called the doctor asking for basic fluids and vitamin D, C, and zinc treatment for Greg, she said. The doctor yelled at her, she said, saying, I don't know what research you're looking at, but we're not doing that. That's not what we do. Greg texted her that he was losing body mass rapidly and that he wasn't being fed. Please help make sure there is a plan to get me out of here, he sent in a text to his wife. Throughout his stay, Greg reported that he was seeing less and less medical staff, and Iarly said she was getting fewer updates on his condition. Then on September 30th, Iarly said Greg made a 39-second phone call to the tua Layton Police Department through the department has no record of the call, she said. The next day... Arlie was told that Greg needed to be put on a ventilator or he would die. We said yes, she said. We had to give him a chance. That was September 30th. On October 1st, staff called to tell her that Greg needed protein. Since there were no protein drinks in the ICU, Arlie needed to go out and get one for him, she said. So with the National Guard at the front entrance of the hospital, Irely said she still wasn't allowed inside and had to leave it at the front desk of the hospital. When she got home, she got a call from hospital staff telling her there had been an emergency and that Greg needed to be ventilated immediately. Later, she spoke with the doctor who vented Greg and he reported to her that Greg was in no way close to death and that his lungs just needed a break, she said. But then, four days later, hospital staff reported to her that the ventilator had stopped working and that she and her children needed to come in and see him. I don't understand what happened between October the 1st and the 5th, she said. The doctors didn't give me any information. None of it added up and she had no time to process any of the multiple inconsistent reports that she was getting from hospital staffers. I had to come in quickly if I didn't want my husband of 30 years to die by himself, she said. My kids and I watched as he took his final breath. My 21-year-old daughter was so distraught she had to be taken out of the hospital in a wheelchair. As they were leaving after he passed on October 5th, Iarly said a hospital staff member yelled at them to get vaccinated. Greg had already been hesitant to go to the hospital because he had been hearing stories describing poor treatment there, specifically of the unvaccinated. Greg couldn't take the COVID vaccine. Why? He had a history of negative side effects from the flu vaccine. It was during this time when Joe Biden was mandating vaccines for employees on several fronts, private businesses, federal contractors, healthcare workers. When I really got Greg's medical records, she said she found that Greg had been given a combination of drugs like morphine and fentanyl. It was documented heavily how he was losing weight and he was self-feeding, she said. He was also listed as a fall risk. So they tied his hands down and sedated him. How could you be so sedated and in charge of feeding yourself? It makes no sense. Arlie said he lost 25 pounds in the course of 12 days. She's now trying to get the truth. You know what's interesting? There are thousands, tens of thousands of similar stories. And I've talked to you here about the evil of the COVID-19 protocols that came out of the CDC, specifically Dr. Anthony Fauci. Every hospital in America was given these protocols, every single hospital. And here's what everybody needs to understand. Hospitals rely heavily on financial assistance that comes through Medicare and Medicaid patients. And there is a laundry list of do's and don'ts that come from the CDC. They actually come from what's called the CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Washington, D.C., but they pass those down in the way of protocols in the treatment of patients. And if you don't follow the protocols that the CDC gives you when you treat patients in certain circumstances, you take a chance of the federal government pulling your status to be a Medicare-Medicaid provider. And that would cut off probably 40% of that hospital, any hospital's revenue. Anthony Fauci wrote the protocols the COVID-19 protocols, he wrote all of them. And I just want to add this one thing. He recommended, in fact, it's a protocol, it's a piece of protocol that every patient that goes into a hospital that is diagnosed positive with COVID-19 must receive one and only one drug. This is the only one that was mandated by the CDC. What drug is it? Remdesivir. Remdesivir is a Moderna drug that had very, very quick clinical trials, only two small groups. And nobody thought about it when they started using Moderna's Remdesivir. Way back in the spring of 2020, nobody thought about it looking into the clinical trials, but they were right there on the CDC website. In those two small groups, a bunch of people died. A bunch of the other ones, and I say a bunch, it wasn't you know, dozens and dozens because there weren't dozens and dozens of people that were in these trials. But based on the number of people that were in the trials, it was a bunch of people. A bunch of people died. Several of the others had kidney failure in a normal situation those drugs would never like that would never be allocated and certainly wouldn't be part of a hospital a universal hospital protocol set that goes out to every hospital during a pandemic right yet anthony fauci pushed it out never told these hospitals these doctors around the nation that were being held to their specific specific protocols that remdesivir was unsafe. It was proven to be unsafe and it killed a large percentage of people that died from kidney failure. Now here's what happened. If you heard, and many of you did, we did here, their kidneys just couldn't take the liquids out of their bodies anymore. And their lungs were filling up with fluid. What that was about, and of course we found out later, was remdesivir was stopping the kidneys from doing what kidneys do, and so the liquid in the lungs was coming from the patient's bodies because the kidneys had been nailed by remdesivir and weren't operating properly. And so they would say, oh, that's pneumonia, that's pneumonia, it wasn't pneumonia, it was liquid from there in their bodies that came from the use of remdesivir. Nobody's talking about that. Let me just say this. If you are vaccinated, I pray for you every day. I pray for every vaccinated American that God will keep you safe. I have a daughter that felt she needed to take the vaccine because she is 10 years out of really bad breast cancer and she's on medication that immunocompromised her. So obviously I have a dog in the hunt, my son and his wife. He is an executive chef of a large chain of hospitals in Dallas, Fort Worth. Obviously his employment They required that for their employees. I pray for him for the same reason. I pray for everybody. But just so you know, the people who designed these vaccines, led by little Anthony, they knew when they put it in there that there were lots of bad stuff contained within all three of the vaccines that were used here. The guys at the top knew that and yet they shoved it downstream. Now, how could they do that? Wouldn't you, if you were in their situation, wouldn't you say, even if you could get past the morality or the immorality of doing what they did, wouldn't you be afraid of this all coming to light about what was included in those vaccines and the fact that they had two clinical trials that Anthony Fauci was involved in that showed people dying and people's kidney failures. It was massive in percentages of those tested, never given to the American public. Wouldn't you be afraid if you were Fauci or someone else? In this case, no. And you know why? Because they were indemnified in their roles being part of the federal government. They were indemnified by the Federal Drug Administration when they approved remdesivir for EUA, which is Emergency Use Authorization. Any drug that is labeled with that by the FDA, if there are any problems with any patients that could lead to litigation at a later time, you can't sue the doctor. Your only recourse is to sue the federal government. And if you end up there, I hope you have lots of money because it is really darn expensive to do federal litigation. I promise you never get in that position unless you have no alternative and you have to do it because it's very seldom successful. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. My gosh. Um, where do we go from here? <laughs> Listen, folks, we have so many things on our plate. I mean, just look around us. Our supply chain, it's crap. Still hasn't been fixed. Therefore, grocery shelves are empty. Children's food still hasn't been picked up where we parents can get it for their young children. Lots of things. Gasoline, everybody's saying, oh my gosh, it's down, it's down, it's down. Yeah, it is down a little bit. But we're being told that it's about to go back up again. Those things are out there. And then we have in our government, our government is screwed up. And every day it becomes more and more obvious. The Department of Justice, especially the FBI, is, as most Americans have felt for some time, they're all over the place, and they are totally politicized in every area. The top two floors of the FBI building are full of people that are up to their eyeballs in corruption. And all of these big debacles, almost every one of those that we see at the federal government level that involve the Department of Justice and the FBI, they are all so politicized it's almost impossible looking at it normally in a normal fashion to come up with the facts because it's the FBI, it's the Department of Justice, and they control the dissemination of facts across the board in the United States. You can't expect them to turn over data that's going to implicate people within their organization, can you? (laughs) Why would they do that? Well, here's the answer. They don't do that. They don't turn it over. They simply don't. And even when they're asked under oath, they don't comply. Before we get into the new specifics of the Mar-a-Lago raid, let me just let me just let you listen to some discussion about the guy that was head of the department that was supposed to be looking into the Hunter Biden laptop situation before the 2020 election. His last name is Tebow. Well, he decided to leave the FBI yesterday. And here's more about what's going on there.
5: We've talked to FBI officials. Many of them are upset about what's going on in the D.C. headquarters. Others say the FBI officials can be objective and fair. I mean, Tebow's social media posts show blatant political bias. Articles like William Barr has gone rogue, retweeting from the anti-Trump group, the Lincoln Project, calling out Trump White House abuses in the General Michael Flynn case and more. Where do you come down on this?
3: Well, what amazes me is that someone who exhibited his political biases so openly continued to be the assistant special agent in charge of the Washington field office. Yeah, he's gone now, but what in the world does it say about the lack of supervision by FBI leadership that he was allowed to continue in this position for so long when he was uh, in an office that uh, made decisions about uh, investigations, THE TARGETED POTENTIAL uh, uh, LEADERS IN THE GOVERNMENT IN THIS COUNTRY. I MEAN, THE FACT THAT HE CONTINUED IN THAT POSITION FOR SO LONG, PARTICULARLY WITH ALL OF THE COMPLAINTS COMING IN FROM WHISTLEBLOWERS ABOUT THE DOUBLE STANDARDS THAT HE APPLIED, NOT JUST IN THE HUNTER BIDEN CASE, BUT APPARENTLY OTHER CASES I mean, that raises serious questions about how the FBI is
5: operating. And to your point, let's listen to Senator Amy Klobuchar on the Bill Marsh show Friday night saying this is wrong, what's going on. And also the FBI director, Christopher Wray, admitted in testimony that, yeah, it is wrong. Watch this.
3: Is it okay to have a conspiracy to get rid of Trump? Look, let's not pussyfoot around this. He was selling the influence of his father, Joe Biden. I mean, most political sons do. Well, let's not pretend that at least wasn't going on.
6: You have to make sure that you're treating people fairly.
7: Isn't it true that uh, Mr. Tebow, Agent Tebow, excuse me, and FBI Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian O'Tan? covered up derogatory information about Mr. Hunter Biden while working for the FBI.
3: I should say that when I read the letter that describes the kinds of things that you're talking about, um, I found it deeply troubling.
5: So he finds it deeply troubling. Your reaction?
3: Well, I I, I don't understand how he could only know about it once he read the letters from Senator Grassley, relating what the whistleblowers were saying. Like I said, this was no big secret. These were social media posts. <laughs> what, what, were they not monitoring what this agent is doing? Is the leadership yeah. so bad
5: at and, supervising and that they hun, didn't know about hun, it? Hans, to your point, Senator Grassley says bias inside the FBI predates Trump, that it dates back even before Hillary Clinton. And he's saying that extensive information from whistleblowers, FBI whistleblowers, to Senator Grassley's office, also Senator Ron Johnson's office, uh, they're asking the DOJ inspector general to look into this, uh, that basically they're relying on reporting information from Hillary Clinton's Uh, campaign and the uh, DNC-funded Steele dossier, which Hillary paid for and her campaign paid for. Also, you know, information from left-wing nonprofits, that that's what they're using to launch probes. That's what he's hearing from, they're hearing from whistleblowers. What do you say? Final word.
3: What that says is that the FBI is not acting properly. They should only be opening investigations when they have properly verified real evidence, not Uh, things coming in from uh, organizations that uh, have a bias and a prejudice and are trying to get someone targeted for a political investigation. Yeah,
5: and we should say there are thousands and thousands of good men and women working hard in the FBI to catch the bad guys, and you know, it's not fair to them. Hans von Spakovsky, thanks for joining us. Good to see you. This
1: is the FBI director Christopher Wray. This entire thing falls in his lap. He's the guy. He is where the buck stops in the FBI. Now, his boss is Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general of, he's over the entire Department of Justice, and the FBI is just one of the divisions there. So Christopher Ray answers to Merrick Garland. Both of these guys are feckless. They both have speckled things in their past regarding enforcement of duly passed laws and their hesitance to make sure that happens. Listen, under the rule of law, that's what is guaranteed to Americans in the Constitution, equal justice, and we're entitled to a quick trial. If we're arrested for wrongdoing, that they're going to not keep us in jail like uh, happens all over in other countries around the world. Some stay in there for years. Uh, We talked to one guy three or four times on the air here, who was a pastor, a missionary pastor, a medical missionary, that was kept for two and a half years in prison in Central America. And they were arrested in that country on behalf of the FBI. And they've been locked up. He and three sons have been locked up in federal prison for two and a half years. They finally moved him two weeks ago to Miami where two of his sons were being held. The other son was with him. They're all reunited. And in this federal prison in Miami, they can have no visitors. Uh, Their visits from their attorneys are extremely limited in time. They don't get to go outside. They get sunshine one hour a day. And this is the United States of America. Our law enforcement system at the federal level is getting worse and worse and worse. Now this guy, this FBI guy that retired yesterday, Tebow is his last name. He was the guy that pushed to hide the Hunter Biden laptop story before the election. Now why would anybody in the FBI do that? Obviously it was for political purposes. The criminal justice system in America is not supposed to be politicized at any level, especially the federal level. And yet this guy... All of that was proven to be true. He was caught doing it. And instead of being chastised and somehow punished within the FBI, he was patted on the back and given the new post over the Washington, D.C. field office. And now it just so happens. This is really odd. Just think that the luck of the draw would have him being over the raid at Mar-a-Lago down in Palm Beach, Florida. Wow. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? And so now we have the drug trafficker-in-chief, Joe Biden, President Biden, and uh, we have this thing going on down there with the keeper of evidence, whoever that is going to be, trafficker. But the whole thing looks again like being politicized in an election cycle and every day, it seems like the media get one more thing, one more little bit that they can pontificate over in their news, and every bit of it is to make Donald Trump look bad before the midterms, even though he's not running. But they want him being attacked, and it's, it's attacks that are happening unethically, if not illegally to make it look really bad for Donald Trump and all of the candidates that he supported in their primaries. It's the politicization of the criminal justice system and our forefathers warned us about it. So what's the big questions now? It was interesting this morning. I saw this and I just laughed when I saw it. It's a picture of a bunch of documents laying on the floor and those documents or some of the documents that the FBI took from Mar-a-Lago when they went, and it's the ones they feel like implicate the president the worst, the most. But I gotta be honest with you, the way they did it, it's theater. I guarantee you, Donald Trump didn't have classified documents laying on his floor in his office in Mar-a-Lago. Why would the FBI do that? They wanted it to look to you like, look what this guy did. He has no idea. He should know better than to do that than to leave these classified documents, just laying on the floor in his moral office. When you see stuff like this happening, when you hear these leaks every day, which by the way are illegal, it is illegal for anybody to leak any investigative material to anyone else and it's also illegal for the media to report this stuff but this is the United States of America we don't hold anybody that's left leaning we don't hold them accountable for anything so let me ask you this the right for a president to declassify documents himself or herself in the case of it being a female president it's implicit It's been proven again and again, but they're concentrating the media and now even Fox news, they're bringing up the questions about, Oh, Oh, oh," you know, they're telling us these documents are there and this is what they say. Nobody's giving us those documents to look at because that would be a violation. In fact, them talking about it is illegal leaking about it where they got it is illegal, but this is the United States. We don't prosecute people. these kind of things. So what is the declassification authorization that any president has?
6: Court records reveal FBI agents took 11 sets of classified records from former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate during a search on August 8th. In a post on Truth Social, a social media platform that he founded, Trump claimed that the documents were all declassified. The former president's comments prompted several of our viewers, including Beverly and Carol, to ask, Can the president declassify documents? So let's verify. Our sources are the U.S. Constitution, Executive Order 13526, Cal McClanahan, Executive Director of the National Security Counselors, a nonprofit public interest law firm, and Richard Immerman, professor and historian at Temple University. According to our sources, a president does have the authority to declassify documents while they're in office, but it isn't a formal process. Let me walk you through the levels of classification in the U.S. government and when presidents can and cannot exercise their power to declassify government records. The three levels of classification in the U.S. government are confidential, secret, and top secret. National security expert Kel McClanahan says the classification assigned to a document dictates...
2: The level of damage that its release would cause to the national security of the United States.
6: According to the National Archives, a select group of government officials have classification authority, including the president, vice president, and agency heads. But let's focus on the president. The Supreme Court ruled the president's power over classified information comes from executive authority granted by the Constitution. A sitting U.S. president has wide-ranging authority to classify and declassify certain documents, but a former president does not. To classify a document, a sitting president has to make a plausible argument that it's related to national security, according to McClanahan. But he says there isn't the same requirement for declassifying documents.
2: He doesn't have to give any reason for declassifying it. He can just say, I decide that this should be declassified and it's declassified.
6: According to our sources, there isn't a formal protocol the president has to follow in order to declassify government information. But historian Richard Immerman says there is an informal one that presidents generally follow. First, the president consults all departments and agencies that have an interest in a classified document. They provide an assessment as to whether the document should stay classified for national security reasons. And if there's a dispute among the agencies, they debate it. But ultimately, it's the president that makes the decision on declassification.
1: It is ultimately the unilateral authority of a sitting president to declassify what he wants to be declassified. Experts agreed. The president, as commander-in-chief, is ultimately responsible for classification and declassification, period. It stops there. There's nothing in the Constitution that lays out the requirements or the process or whatever. It's assumed. And remember, assumed means you'll likely, if you assume something, it'll make an ass out of you and me. It's not written. There is no Declassification process in the United States Constitution, nor is there anything in past laws about declassification powers of any sitting president. In 1988, the Supreme Court handled the case Department of Navy versus Egan which addressed the legal recourse of a Navy employee who had been denied a security clearance, addresses this line of authority. Quote, The President, after all, is the Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy of the United States, according to Article 2 of the Constitution, the Court's majority wrote. His authority to classify and control access to information bearing on national security flows primarily From the constitutional investment of power in the president and exists quite apart from any explicit congressional grant. Stephen Aftergood, who's director of the Federation of American Scientists Project on Government Secrecy, he said that such authority gives the president the authority to classify and declassify at will. In fact, Robert Turner associate director of the university of Virginia center for national security law said that if Congress were to enact a statute seeking to eliminate or limit the president's authority to classify or declassify national security information or to prohibit him from sharing certain kinds of information with Russia, it would raise serious separation of powers, constitutional issues. In other words, There's nothing written that gives even Congress the authority to regulate a president regarding classification and declassification. The official government's documents that pertain to classification and declassification stem from executive orders only. But even any executive order isn't necessarily binding on the next president or even this president, the president is not obliged to follow any procedures other than those that he himself has prescribed, and he can change those. In other words, folks, all the president has to do, and Donald Trump can say, I declassified all these documents, and nobody has the right to say you can't. And you're doing so is illegal. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. People at all these networks, they know this. The ones that are reporting it, the far lefties and even some moderates in the middle are reporting this is a bad thing. Donald Trump is in trouble. Look at those documents laying all over the office floor that they took a picture of, making it look like that that was the factual way they found them. It was not. They're using it to ploy and get the other side of the United States, the conservative side, get them amped up to say, you know what? Maybe this is true. Maybe the guy is a bad guy. Everything that happens now in government is politicized. Everything. Everything. And it's no different, the FBI is politicizing this to somehow denigrate Donald Trump and his impact on elections, happens to be the midterm elections, coming up in November.
0: From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network.
2: Hello?
8: Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say the that what now? The
9: instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite
2: chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to getsomenuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching.
0: Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward. And give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall. And get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last.
1: Here's something that will blow your mind. The Department of Justice's admission earlier this week that its collection of attorney-client privilege documents from Mar-a-Lago, they probably didn't handle it right. But that process, handling privilege material, it's known as filter teams, these experts that do just that, or taint teams, filter teams or taint teams. That process itself has been tainted by a string of a bunch of legal controversies over the seizure of attorney-client privilege that's protected in other cases. Distrust among defense lawyers, including the firm that once employed Hunter Biden, by the way, about this honor system that federal law enforcement claims to use to protect privileged evidence has led to a pending Writ, asking the Supreme Court to rule on the legality of such teams, like filter teams or taint teams, to go through documents to determine whether they're privileged or not. This team process needlessly and harmfully exposes assertedly privileged communications to the government's eyes. Listen, folks, that's the most obvious thing in this, That just blows my mind. That's the purpose for always allowing somebody that is the recipient of coming to their place to get documents like what happened in Mar-a-Lago. No notification. And don't let anybody make you think that this was just, the FBI knocked on the front door and a couple of guys there. And they opened the front door and they said, we're from the FBI and we're here to look at documents. Why don't you show us where the documents are and just stand there and we're going to take some of them because here's the warrant. We're going to take some of them or all of them, but we want you and we'll allow you to catalog the specific documents we take. In a normal situation, that's exactly what would happen. Not so here. Nobody was allowed in. Why Would that? What would be the excuse for not allowing any of the Trump executives that were there, especially the Trump attorney, to go along with the members of the FBI who are there going through documents and at least document the documents that were taken? That's what is normal, not this case. And they didn't just drive up in a couple of cars Folks, there were helicopters over and there were actually people in the water that's close to Mar-a-Lago, agents in the water, like there was going to be somebody that was going to run out of the back door with a big box of documents to hide them. They were going to get them if they tried to get into a boat. I'm, I'm serious. It was a show, the kind of thing that they do pretty much all the time now when they are going to arrest a high-level Republican. This filter-taint-team procedure needlessly and harmfully exposes privileged communications to the government. It undermines essential protection for the adversary system, and it jeopardizes the confidentiality needed for the applicable privileges to serve their vital purposes. So it went to the Supreme Court. So while these justices weigh whether to take on this case, at least three other federal appeals courts have already raised concerns about these teams in other cases. And the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, which often investigates financial crimes alongside the FBI, recently admitted to significant breaches in two cases where its computer systems mistakenly allowed criminal investigators to have access to privileged documents from its administrative regulatory side, the Securities and Exchange Commission. They blame the mistakes on a, quote, control deficiency. We deeply regret that the commission system lacks sufficient safeguards surrounding access to adjudication memoranda. That was the SEC that put that out after the fact. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. We have great faith in the professionalism of all of our staff. This is the SEC talking. And we'll work to ensure that going forward, we better protect the separation of adjudicatory work product within our system for administrative adjudication, yada, 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 yada. The apology... It only further heighten defense lawyers' concerns that the government's regard for protecting privileged materials is waning or non-existent. Where does this all go to? It goes to this fact. Americans don't trust the FBI anymore and don't trust the Department of Justice to be unbiased, nonpartisan, and totally committed to one thing and one thing only, the rule of law and it's enforcement as is in the Constitution, or it's in laws that were passed by the United States Congress and signed into law by a president. It should never, ever have anything to do with anything outside those parameters. Yet now, in this DOJ, in this FBI, the first thing I go to my, when I look at or hear a story about the FBI, the first thing, my fundamental premise for every story is, where's the corruption? Because almost, without exception, every FBI story we hear now, there's corruption. They can't be trusted anymore. Even Fox News, their anchors are saying, they always have this disclaimer, oh, we know there are thousands of FBI employees that are really good people, that are nonpartisan, that are not biased based upon their political perspectives. That's the disclaimer. I used to feel that way. I don't anymore. I know one person in the FBI, just one right now, and the one person I know is nonpartisan, and he's in management in the FBI. He sees the same things that you and I see in the agency. There are a lot of people in high positions that you can't trust. And I don't trust the FBI and every American should be in a spot where we can just because they're the FBI. That's the way it used to be. Now, let me give you an example of this government overreach. Mark Griffin, Mark Griffin, you probably don't know who Mark is. He stood at the police line on the west of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, back in 2021, and he was having a friendly conversation with officers about why he had come to Washington. With no warning, police picked up the metal bicycle racks that served as barricades, and they rushed forward into the crowd, pushing people back. Griffin was sprayed in the face with pepper gel. Hell was breaking loose. And all of a sudden, Griffin found himself on the ground, dazed and confused. He had a vague sensation that his left leg was injured just above the knee. All around him, blinding flashes were punctuated by a whomp and crack that knocked people off their feet. The day was peaceful no more. He said, I went down. Some people helped me up. I had no idea how bad I got hurt. As he struggled to his feet, Griffin leaned on the cane he brought for protection from attacks he feared would come from Antifa. It would be his only means of a quick deteriorating melee between police and protesters if one happened. He didn't realize at the time his left femur was split in two lengthwise. The massive trauma came from, guess what, a 38 millimeter to 40 millimeter shell almost certainly fired from a munition launcher behind the police line. His leg quickly swelled, creating a natural pressure splint that allowed him to limp from the scene on a broken leg toward the bus he rode from Pennsylvania. The first serious police injury occurred about 40 minutes earlier, when a Capitol Police officer was knocked off her feet, struck her head on a concrete step. Griffin was among the first casualties among protesters on a day when four Trump supporters died. Scores of police and protesters were injured. Griffin's recovery took more than a year and racked up medical bills of a quarter of a million dollars. We don't hear about any of these things that happened on January 6th, do we? We hear even comedians in doing stand-up comedy taking a moment away from their comedy to blast conservatives in government, blast Donald Trump, because there were many police that were killed by these protesters that day. There was not one. There are people that died, but not at the hands of protesters. But there are plenty plenty of these Griffin stories that the media is not even covering. This kind of stuff happened. And here's where we are in American history. Our government is hiding facts from us, keeping things from the public purview, which if disseminated would continue to drive the untrustworthy feelings that we have for our government. And it's getting to be from top to bottom. Think about it. you got a guy in the White House. He doesn't support the rule of law. He's not enforcing our borders. He's actually encouraging people at the southern border to break legal laws, helping these illegals to get in, and he's making you and I pay for all of these illegals, when I say all, every one of them, every stinking one of them, two million, two million at least are here just since he took office. Two million. It's not about enforcing the law anymore. It's hiding things that they're doing from the American people who want and demand that all the legality be upheld for everybody. Equal justice under the law. No way should any one person have a sole right regarding the potential of breaking a law. Or enforcing one. It shouldn't happen. It should never happen. And so, what is this commander in chief, this executive, this guy that runs the White House, runs the government, the guy that got up when he was campaigning numerous times? I want to be a uniter. We've got to get this country united again. He said it numerous times in speeches since he's been in the presidency. So what did he do in Pennsylvania yesterday? What did he say?
7: MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security, they're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence.
4: Okay, uh, and now we're seeing some vulgar fascism messages and graffiti across the front of a vandalized Republican office building in Florida. Here with reaction, Fox News contributor and former Democrat, Leo Terrell. Leo, good morning to
3: you.
9: Hey, good morning,
4: Steve. Thanks for having me. You bet. So a couple of days after uh, Joe Biden mentioned semi-fascist, next thing you know, Seminole County, the Republican Party, somebody took some spray paint and wrote fascist there, along with some expletives as well that we fuzzed out. Is that just a coincidence?
9: Oh, absolutely not. Look, look uh, Joe Biden's Democratic rhetoric has divided this country based on party affiliation. And that violent rhetoric has resulted in violence from extremists from the left. Steve, look what's happening in Florida. The Democrats are jealous of Florida. That's a state with no income tax, no critical race theory, no defund the police, no uh, uh, kids going to school with masks. They're jealous of Florida and they're embarrassed of California, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia because their progressive plans do not work. He doesn't go after Chicago or Los Angeles. The Democrats, Kathy Hochul, Charlie Chris, they go after Florida because it represents the best of America and they don't like it.
4: The Republican Party of Florida put out an Instagram, they said this, number one, Chris, that's Charlie Christ, says Ron DeSantis supporters have hate in their heart. Number two, Biden calls Republicans semi fascists. The results, dangerous Democratic rhetoric is polarizing our country and inciting criminal behavior, they say. But you know what, Leo? I, I see the president talking about uh, mega Republicans, which he's done for a while, and now he's amped up the rhetoric where he's talking about them being a, a semi fascist that, we're going to hear that a lot between now and the first Tuesday in November because it's political season and the Democrats feel that they've had a number of wins and they're going to remind people, hey, you want you our side or the extremist side?
9: Well, you know, first of all, the characterization of 75 million Americans being extremists is just outrageous. Remember, Joe Biden, Steve, on inauguration day, said he wanted to unify the country. That is a lie because he has just thrown 75 million Trump supporters under the bus. I can sit here and proudly tell you, you call me a former Democrat. I left the Democratic Party because I became a Trump Republican because the Democrats are radical. They're extremists. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, 500 riots over the last three years. Defund the police. That's not America. That's chaos. And that's exactly what Joe Biden is doing. Politics, rhetoric, and you know what? This is a president that is basically unwanted by his own party, but he's pushing the political reform or agenda
1: of the left. You know what this sounds eerily like? It sounds like despots that have been able to get to the top of the governments in various places, sometimes through military actions that happen from the outside. But most of the time, it's easier to go in there and find people that are already entrenched in government there, turn them to your ideology, and through them through them, do a coup, some kind of government overthrow where these people come in. It sounds eerily similar to that when we talk about what Joe Biden said. That was Joe Biden that actually said that. If you missed the beginning of the soundbite, here he is again. This is President Biden yesterday in Pennsylvania.
7: MAG Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence.
1: MAGA people, everybody that's listening to this right now, wherever you are, in your car, in your office, at home, with your earbuds on, jogging, if you believe that, that every MAGA person, and listen again to the specifics of what he declared And he declared them like, because I'm Joe Biden, the President of the United States, what I'm telling you about those evil MAGA people right now is true. Listen to what he says you are.
7: MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy.
1: We're a threat to our very democracy. Now, let me just say this first of all, the United States government never has been a democratic government, and it's not going to be one now, and it, I hope, will not be one in the future, because in a true democracy, every issue that comes up, every person in the country has got to weigh in with their opinion through a vote. Our forefathers knew that this nation was going to grow exponentially. They knew it was going to spread from sea to sea and that there would be millions, tens of millions of people with diverse political agendas and ideas. And so they gave the American people in the Constitution the ability and the way to structure a government where the government always worked for the people, not the other way around. And the way that that worked was In the Constitution, the federal government was structured and set up, but it was always in the control, not of the government itself, but the American people. We don't have that right now. Why don't we have it? Because through the years, very, very eerily and quietly, the left, have found ways to ease those concepts of representative republic law into democratic law. And the reason they do that primarily is it gives them an easy way to demean you and me. Are you against democracy?
7: MAG Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence.
1: Refuse to accept the will of the people. Do you think the majority of Americans feel that way? (laughs) You and I both know that's not true. Americans don't feel that way. It's the other way around. Americans want him to do what the chief executive is supposed to do and by the way he took an oath to do it protect the nation protect the people enforce all of the laws that you mr then senator now president joe biden are supposed to enforce without exceptions don't think that you have any type of unilateral right to change anything and the legal structure here in the United States. It's not in your bailiwick. It's not in your authorization. What you're supposed to do, sir, is when a law is passed or when a bill is passed by the House, by the Senate, comes to the desk of whoever the sitting president is, the next president, and the one after that, take an oath to defend and execute every one of the laws that were passed by the government. Joe Biden doesn't do that. Did you hear me? Joe Biden doesn't do that, and he never has, and he won't. Why? Because he's a sellout to the far left in his party, something that he told us was not going to happen. When he was campaigning, he told us he was going to be a man of the people, that he understood the people of America control our government, We elect people that are constitutionally elected and they are constitutionally charged to go to Washington DC and represent on the Senate side, the States, the States rights, but on the house side, to listen to the people's representatives who have the sole power to craft bills to send to the other side of the Capitol. And if the Senate agrees, it's turned into a single bill that goes to a president's desk to sign. When the president signs it, it's law. And every president swears an oath to enforce those laws. There's no other way around. Executive orders penned by presidents aren't binding. Joe Biden has taken vast power in executive orders that he does not have a constitutional right to do. The student loan thing, lawsuits are already being filing. One was filed yesterday against his forgiveness of student debt, a uh, debt that he is supporting and he has put out there. It's unconstitutional. It won't stand. Does that mean that nothing can be done about all that student debt? That's an issue that must come through the United States Congress, not through the White House. Our political system, our legal system, is under egregious 24-7 attack by the left, defunding police, Now the big cry going around is everybody saying, oh, I never was for defunding the police. I don't believe in that. We need to give them more money. They're all lying about it. We could play a, a sound bite here, an audio bite that would be about two minutes, and each little segment in it would be from the mouths of many of these Democrat leaders in which they said publicly, we need to defund the police. And this kind of stuff happens 24 7. Americans, we grow tired dealing with it, thinking about it, trying to find the truth in it. And everything has changed in our government in the last decade. Everything has changed. You try to get governments to enforce the election laws that they pass, and the people, are told don't do it, that if you let the legislature in your state, if you let them change election laws, it's going to be voter suppression. They want the government to have more power. It's the other way around. Supporters for election integrity scored a big victory last week when the Arizona Supreme Court held that Proposition 210 in the state which is a ballot initiative to undo Arizona's new election integrity law. Listen to this. They call it an election integrity law. And by the way, it was financed by George Soros's money. The Supreme Court says that cannot be on the November ballot due to a lack of valid signatures. Now, Arizona's there is just one state in the aftermath of the 2020 election, that decided that statutory reforms were needed to make it easier to vote, but hard to cheat, to increase public confidence in the election results. Now, that's why they did it. So far, 15 states have passed such laws. And, of course, what happens there, the left are concentrating on not the front piece to make it easier to vote, but they hate the second part that makes it hard to cheat in elections. Under the Arizona Constitution, laws that are passed by legislatures can be overridden by ballot initiatives. Many of these initiatives impose things that lawmakers reject after they consider them. One such example of a left-wing initiative was Arizona's forced taxpayer funding of campaigns, which the Supreme Court struck down as an unconstitutional violation of the First Amendment. And then billionaire activist George Soros, he funded this latest effort to override the elected legislature in the Grand Canyon State, Arizona, as his Open Society Foundation, as well as another activist group called Way to Win. And that claims credit for Democrat victories in 2020 funded a ballot initiative through a left-wing group with the euphemistic name, Arizonans for free and fair elections. They submitted over 475,000 signatures supporting it. So conservatives challenged the validity of the signatures. And after a round of litigation, the Arizona Supreme Court sent the matter back to a Maricopa County judge, that's Phoenix, for a final assessment. The trial judge held last week the organizers had barely met the necessary 239,926 signatures, clearing that hurdle by only a couple of thousand votes. But it was appealed to the Arizona Supreme Court the justices held that they were unable to verify the validity rate used by the trial court and ordered the trial judge to explain the calculation by midday on Friday, last Friday. When the trial judge failed to justify his calculations, the Arizona Supreme Court said the ballot initiative did not have enough legal signatures to proceed to November's election. Let me ask you this. Why would anybody oppose a real election integrity law, a real one that was written and drafted and published and everybody knew its contents? Why would they fight that? And it's been a, a vicious fight and it's funded, not with Arizona dollars, but dollars that come in from people like George Soros Why would they do that? They don't want the rule of law to be enforced. It's simple. That's exactly what this is all about. Everything's politicized. Uh, Do you get tired of us talking about these things? I got to be honest with you. Every day I get tired of being in the middle of this. And at least once a week I ask myself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You probably know this. We don't monetize either truthnewsnet.org, our website, or this show. We don't monetize it. We don't ask you or anybody to pay anything. We do it because we feel this is a calling and it's the right thing for us to do. And even us, we have people out there throwing rocks at us every day accusing us of some of the same things. And of course, they automatically think if you're conservative and if you espouse any conservative ideals or ideology, that you're a hardcore MAGA, super MAGA person. Like the president, you heard him say for yourself just a little bit ago, what did he say about us MAGA people? I'll never forget this, and I'll never throw this soundbite away.
7: MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence.
1: I do not embrace political violence. I don't want to take one right away from any American. Not one. And though I have some issues with which I disagree in some U.S. laws that are passed, but you know what? I don't have the right to ignore them. I don't have the right to go against them. My responsibility is American to abide by the laws of the land. And if I don't like the laws, I have the phone number for Mike Johnson, my congressional member, fourth congressional district in North Louisiana. He's my member in the house. He happens to be a Republican. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat either. I'm a registered independent in Louisiana. That means I'm not a party guy. I'm an idea guy. I'm a free thinker. I believe it's my right to investigate and control anyone that I feel best would represent me in government. That's the way it's all supposed to happen. It's supposed to be non-manipulative, it's supposed to read so that it represents everything in totality that needs to be considered regarding any law that is even considered and but then passed and signed into law. There's no other way. Yet this government and people in this government, in this administration every day, are finding ways that they can use to pontificate about anything that goes against their political beliefs, not legal beliefs, but they want to rule the government based on political beliefs alone, which means I interpret a law this way. You interpret it another way. My party is in power. We control Congress. We control the White House. And so you can't say anything and you can't stop us so sit down and shut up. That's exactly what's happening. Maybe they're not saying it out loud, but that's exactly what they're, ha- they're saying from the top down. And by the way, if you're a conservative, Joe Biden two days ago called you a fascist. You know what fascists are. <laughs> you know what fascist governments are. They're comparing you to Hitler or Vladimir Putin or Mussolini in Italy in World War II. They're saying if you are a conservative, you're one of those people. And sadly, they're screaming it from the mountaintops, and a lot of people believe them. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name.
5: I'm afraid to ask.
1: Snuggle Muffin.
2: No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky.
0: I couldn't do that.
2: I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay,
1: drown her out with a two hundred mile per hour cordless leaf blower.
0: Got it. Here she comes.
2: Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle.
8: snuggle- I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder
0: Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve.
3: Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up
1: Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue, cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all, cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your
0: wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's Chips. One taste and you're in love. Conservative thought, not just talk. At
1: TNN, the Truth News Network.
0: And again, Dan Newman.
1: If you were here a week and a half ago when we had Congressman Mike Johnson on the show, you heard me ask him about what can be done and what is the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives, what are they doing in preparation of the probability of them taking over the House in the majority next January, which is when those people would take offices formally. They'd be elected in November, but they weren't, weren't going to be in power until January. What steps could they take now? And I ask him, why they didn't do very much in the House when Donald Trump was elected because the first two years of the Trump administration, Republicans controlled the House of Representatives and the Senate, by the way. So you would think they would be doing things kind of like Democrats in Congress and the White House are doing now. And here's what he said. He told me that they didn't think they were going to win, so leadership in the House and the Senate hadn't sat down and come up with any plans about what to do if they won control. And Mike said, we're in the trenches and we are preparing what we're going to do when we take over as the Republican majority. So what are they doing? They're setting their sights on what is for many of them a top priority next year, which is impeaching President Biden. A number of rank-and-file conservatives, a bunch of them in leadership, have already introduced impeachment articles in the current Congress against the president. Of course, they go nowhere. They're not going to get passed or even considered, for that matter. Nancy Pelosi's not going to let any impeachment articles come to the floor to be debated. They accuse Biden of committing high crimes in his approach to a range of issues, touching on border enforcement, coronavirus pandemic, and the withdrawal of those U.S. troops from Afghanistan, all of which were debacles that Biden happened, happened to do 180 degrees from what he should have done. That's what he did. The resolutions that are out there never had a chance of seeing the light of day. But with Republicans widely expected to win the House majority in this November, many of those same conservatives want to tap their new potential powers, To oust a president they deem unfit. Some would like to make it a first order of business, as a matter of fact. I've consistently said President Biden should be impeached for intentionally opening our border, making America's less safe. That's Representative Bob Good of Virginia, a Republican. Congress has a duty to hold the president accountable for this and any other failures, of his constitutional responsibility so a new Republican majority must be prepared to aggressively conduct oversight on day one. The conservative impeachment drive, it reminds you of that orchestrated by liberals four years ago as Democrats took control of the house in 2019 under Donald Trump's presidency at the time a handful of vocal progressives wanted to impeach Trump, largely over accusations that he'd obstructed a Justice Department probe into Russian ties to his 2016 campaign. That idea was repeatedly rejected by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, not least out of fear that it would alienate voters in tough battleground districts. But of course the tie turned when that whistleblower accused Trump of pressuring a foreign power to find dirt on his political opponent, a charge that brought centrist Democrats onto the impeachment train. With moderates on board, Pelosi launched an impeachment inquiry in September of 2019, eight months after she took the Speaker's gavel. Three months later, the House impeached Trump on two counts related to abusing power. None of it stuck. Why didn't it stick? Because there was no there there. But it was successful in many ways. How so, Dan? Because the Democrats were given a bigger pulpit from which to pontificate every day of those two impeachment trials. They were covered by national media, television live. And in those, we heard the allegations, unfounded, nevertheless allegations that were brought by these leftists in the house of representatives who served as the attorneys representing the house in the Senate trial. And they just reveled in the attention they were getting. And they could not say more bad things about Donald Trump than they did. This government almost solely everything you see, everything you hear is written, is produced, is reported with a political slant to be anti-conservatives and anti-Donald Trump and now this president is bringing up the fascist title for you and me i it just blows my mind a fascist i wonder if joe biden even knows what a fascist is do you think he could give us a definition <laughs> Fashion is a political, well, fascism is a political philosophy, a movement or a government regime that exalts nation and often race above the individual and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictator or a dictator-style leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. Let me ask you this. Does any of that sound like anybody that you know that is a Republican or some other kind of conservative? People that exalt race above the individual and stand for a centralized autocratic government that's headed by a dictator or a dictator-like leader, that they want severe economic and social regimentation and the forcible suppression of opposition? I don't know a single conservative that believes that. And yet the president of the United States is calling you a fascist. Now, why would any president do that? There's only one reason, and you know what it is to score political brownie points cheaply. If a president says something, there are a lot of people in the United States that just automatically believe, well, if he said it, it's got to be so. And the truth couldn't be further away from that. Interesting. So what are we doing in the meantime? <laughs> that's a great that's a great thought to have isn't it because we we got to live on we got to live and living means that we live in a world where things happen all around us 24/7 some good news about a uh, car manufacturer Honda and battery maker LG they yesterday announced a plan for a $4 billion-plus electric vehicle facility, likely to be located in the Republican-run state of Ohio. That's the latest such facility built in a Republican-run state. Honda joins competitors like Hyundai and Ford, who are constructing new electric vehicles and battery facilities, predominantly in Republican-run states and congressional districts. Why are they doing this? It's an effort to ensure their electric vehicles qualify for tax cuts under new restrictions under the Inflation Reduction Act that require electric vehicles to be assembled here in the U.S. While these companies didn't publicly disclose their location, people familiar with the matter said the Honda LG factory was planned for Ohio, where Honda already has a big presence with an auto plant in Marysville, the factory will be located in Ohio's 15th Congressional District, which has been solidly Republican for about 30 years, excepting one term, Democratic Representative Mary Jo Kilroy, from 2009 to 2011. Republicans control the governorship, too. Both houses of state government there in Ohio and other companies entering the EV space have been building their factories near existing factories. That plant, that Honda plant, will be similar to those being built by their competitors, including a $5 billion Hyundai plant in Georgia, a $5.8 billion Ford plant in Kentucky, which are also targeting a production date of 2025. Isn't it interesting that all of these car makers and manufacturers, they're bringing manufacturing of their vehicles back from overseas to the United States, but they're not going to Michigan. Of course, Detroit, Michigan is the home of all auto manufacturers, right? They're not going there. Why is that? Michigan is not a Democrat state. Well, what does that matter? Why would that make any difference to a car manufacturer? Well, there's this thing called taxes. You're out the wazoo paying taxes in states that are governed by Democrat governors, like Michigan as an example. Ohio, Texas, Florida, other states that Democrats hate because they're not big taxing states. They don't tax their people out the wazoo. And in some cases, there are no taxes on residents. They don't like that. They want to go places where the government controls everything and therefore, you're going to make a whole lot more money if you're a stockholder in these companies because you control everything. You set everything, make all the rules. and the free market system, you can kick it out the door. You just do what you want to do. Now, with this election coming up, there are some big, big important seats in the Senate. And Democrats, they're salivating more than ever Before, over a pickup opportunity in Pennsylvania's closely-watched Senate race as the Republican nominee and celebrity Dr. Mehmet Oz grapples with increasingly negative headlines. The nominee there for this seat in the Senate, the U.S. Senate, which is occupied now by a retiring Pennsylvania Republican. So the Democrat nominee, John Fetterman, Attorney General of Pennsylvania, he has been battering Oz for months now, but the Republican Senate nominee is going on offense finally, trying to turn around his campaign and keep the seat in Republican hands. The latest war of words between those two candidates was over crudité, or raw vegetable trays, Can you believe this? Fetterman's campaign made fun of Oz for his French reference to the appetizer, prompting a senior communication advisor from Oz's campaign to make fun of Fetterman for a stroke he suffered earlier this year. For weeks, Fetterman's campaign and Democrats have sought to amplify questions over Oz's ties to Pennsylvania and his residency while they painted a picture of an out-of-touch celebrity-turned-politician. Yeah, we've had a few of those, and they've turned out to be pretty good. People like uh, Ronald Reagan. So the most latest poll suggests that Fetterman is benefiting from the racist current dynamics with the nonpartisan Cook Political Report shifting the contest from toss-up to lean Democratic. Unfortunately for the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, a very reputable poll overnight shows Dr. Oz is easing ahead of the attorney general. You want to read something that'll make your hair stand on end? Do a search on John Fetterman and find out who he is. (laughs) You just won't believe when you read what he's done, his background, his personal background, and what he's done you're going to find it hard to believe that he could even be considered to fill a United States Senate seat in any country, let alone Pennsylvania. He's a weirdo and uh, everything he has was given to him by his mommy and his daddy. I'm serious. He didn't have his first job until long after he was considered to be an adult legally. He was given his first house. And how in the heck he got the job as attorney general in Pennsylvania, I have no idea. Pennsylvanians apparently wanted him there. They voted him in. But he's a weirdo. And people, many will say, Dr. Oz is a little off himself. I don't know. But you know what, the people in the country, the people in each state, determine who They want to represent them in the U.S. Senate, and if Pennsylvanians want him, Fetterman, so be it. They don't want Dr. Oz.
0: When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN.
1: haven't talked about, I don't even think we mentioned it yesterday. We've not talked about anything regarding the Southern border recently, but I'm sure you know, it's still there and illegals are still coming across every day. It seems like bigger groups come across than the day before 2 million of them this year. Think about that 2 million already. Wow. And there is no appearance, nothing that I can find or see that says it's gonna change or that it's gonna get get better. Let's go to Representative uh, Gonzalez down in Texas and get his fix, the latest fix on what's happening.
8: Well, the White House is feeling the political pressure over the border crisis. The Biden administration reportedly pushing immigration and customs enforcement to deport more migrants under a quote, detained docket. But according to the L.A. Times, about 60,000 migrants have entered the docket since it was launched in May of last year. But only 150 have been deported through last month. I want to bring in Texas Congressman House Appropriations Committee member Tony Gonzalez. Congressman, it's it's good to see you again. You, You were just in Eagle Pass, Texas, last week. You were talking to officials on the ground. Give us your most recent account of what's going on at the border, as well as your reaction to this L.A. Times report.
2: Yeah. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. You know, on the ground, the numbers just continue to swell just when you think that it can't get any worse. It does. And and the bottom, we, we can't seem to have found the bottom. And while the Biden administration is playing games and is saying that they're doing one thing, their actions show a complete another. And, you know, in San Antonio, it's about two and a half hours from from Eagle Pass. They opened up a, a migrant center. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, and, and as soon as this migrant center opened up, it was at max capacity, like other places. And people around the city have started to complain. So Mayorkas is going to be making a trip to San Antonio uh, later this week, and what he's going to find out is this migrant center is ran by the San Antonio Fire Department. So anytime you open up these centers, the community loses. Right? These firefighters would much rather be out in the community, uh, you know, keeping people safe than in these migrant centers all day long. These numbers, these LA-type numbers. It shows that the administration isn't doing what it's supposed to do and and expel people that do not qualify for asylum.
8: Well, they're not enforcing the law at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You're right. You're exactly right. This goes away with one thing. Enforce the laws that are already on the books. I will tell you, House Republicans are committed to ensuring to, to keep the pressure on. When we win back to House, you're gonna see hearings, you're gonna see people brought forth, you're gonna see a transparency that we haven't seen in this administration. They like to hide the numbers, they like to move things around. Like I said, back at you know, back on the ranch, you know, back back home in the district, you know, you've got communities that are impacted by this. These NGOs, these non-government organizations that used to do a lot of wonderful work with, uh, with homeless and, and drug addiction and other areas, suicide prevention, they're all sucked up into this migrant crisis as well. So our communities are losing out. Now we're having firefighters in these migrant centers, operating in these migrant centers. When is it gonna stop?
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and you've also seen, again, at least we saw in Texas already, a change in how people uh, vote because uh, they're looking for change. They're looking to the Republicans to make that change, in particular in the state of Texas. Um, you serve on the American Security Task Force. That focuses on Biden's border crisis, cyber attacks, as well as supporting law enforcement. If Republicans take back the House in November, you say the task force is ready to implement a plan to secure at the border. What is that plan?
2: Yeah, the plan starts by educating our, our House members, and it's not only the current members. I've hosted 12 congressional delegations at the border. It's also, it's also our future members. Actually, later this week, I'll be hosting eight uh, top-tier candidates, Republican candidates, uh, to the border. That way, on day one, when Republicans take back the House, we'll be ready to go. Now what will we what will we push for? We'll push for Remain in Mexico. That's a policy that worked. We will push to keep Title 42 around until there is an alternative. That's another area that is working. And ultimately, repatriation flights. These are people that do not qualify for asylum, that are returned back to their country of origin. You do these things coupled with some others, like technology, add technology to the border, more boots on the ground. All of this is very, it can go away if you put the resources to, towards it. House Republicans are certainly committed to it, but we have to educate ourselves. That's why I've been hosting all these delegations at the border.
1: You heard that from Representative Gonzalez down there. It's about enforcing the rule of law. It's about just doing the job that this president said he would do if he was elected. He never talked about not enforcing a law. And he's the president. He's got to be held to that. That's a wrap. We made it through midweek. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Stay close and uh, check out truthnewsnet.org when things happen. See you tomorrow. For a while,
2: to love was all we could do. We were young and we knew in our eyes. were relax. deep inside we knew our love was true.
0: For a while, we paid no mind to the past.
2: New love would last every night Something right Would invite us to begin the day